0: Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to and not in place of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Uh, two quick things I want to make you aware of. And then we're going to get into the word together. Number one, I don't know about you. But I am so burdened and so overwhelmed with what's happening in Ukraine right now. Uh, my wife and I have friends there. Uh, they've been sharing photos of some of the villages and cities that they live in. And how bombed out they are. Bridges destroyed. Buildings destroyed. They say over a million Refugees. Over He said so the largest amount of refugees since World War II. And I just want to make you aware, we're continuing to pray for Ukraine. We'll be praying this Wednesday for, for Ukraine again. But you can give, we actually have some boots on the ground and some connections in Ukraine for the refugees. And I'm finding out now that not only are refugees coming out, but there's a lot of people heading in from Poland to go help get more refugees out in the midst of all the fighting. And we have people on the ground. So if you feel in your heart to give financially, they need shelter, they need food, they need water, they just need the basic supplies to be able to be relocated. And I don't even know how you relocate over a million people, this, this is big but if you feel on your heart to give, we actually have a tab online, it says Ukraine. So if you give on the app or online, you can just hit the tab, it'll say Ukraine. If you give to the Ukraine, everything that's given there will go directly to the refugees and to some of the contacts that we have that are working in those camps throughout Poland and throughout Ukraine, amen? Amen, so keep that on your heart there. The other thing I wanna make you aware of is, um, actually I don't wanna make you aware of it, so don't worry about it. Anyways, let's get into the word this morning. Let's go to Song of Songs, chapter one. I'll share it at the end of the service. I'll give it a share at the end. Song of Songs, chapter one. We're gonna go there this morning and we're gonna get into the word. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump in together. Um, And we're gonna have a time with the Lord. Next week, by the way, I'm gonna start a new sermon series called March to the Cross. New sermon series. I'm gonna be speaking about uh, Jesus's time in the garden. I'll talk a little bit about the betrayal. I'll talk a little bit about Uh, just his way to the cross and how that applies to us. So we'll get into that next week together. But let's pray and get into it with each other. Father, we thank you for your goodness this morning. Lord, we thank you for our time of fellowship with each other, God. We thank you for this church that is beginning to learn how to pray and corporately minister to your heart. But Lord, we pray now over the word. We know that it's your word that gives us strength. It's your word that gives us encouragement. It's your word that builds up faith. It's your word that corrects us from falling into traps and different things that can destroy our relationship with you. It's your word. And we're asking this morning that you would anoint your word, that you would put a power on it that God, it would begin to deal with things in our hearts and you would take the little bit of the breadcrumbs, the five loaves, the two fishes, the little bit that we have here and you would begin multiplying it for the needs of this congregation and for your people, Lord. Lord, give me the grace to communicate what you put on my heart. Lord, it's a simple truth, but for some reason I found it very difficult to be able to explain it in a way where it could really begin to be impactful in our journey with you. So God, I pray for an anointing on it and your grace to be over it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, I, I shared in the first service, I started the service, I was praying over the word, and as I was in worship, I was saying, God, how do I, how do I apply this? How do I illustrate what you want me to share in a way that the congregation is gonna be able to get it? And as I was praying through that and I was spending time there, the Lord just brought back to memory a little bit of a story from my own life. And I'm I'm going to be a little bit of vulnerable and, and share a little bit of it with you today. I want to talk about the day that I got engaged to my wife, Beth, day we got engaged. So it took three attempts to ask her to marry me before she said yes, just so everybody knows. I asked twice before the third time and she said it wasn't good enough. She says, that's not going to do. She said, you didn't call my father. You didn't get permission. You didn't do all these things. And I didn't know all these things were were a part of it. So I had to revamp everything and redo everything. So by the third time, I was like, I'm not striking out again. I'm not doing this again. So I decided that I was going to pull out all the stops. I was going to give the most romantic, most incredible proposal on the face of the planet. So what I did is I actually got everything set up where I, I went and I purchased plane tickets. We were here in Colorado. I got plane tickets to New York City because we were gonna have a picnic. I was gonna take her to Central Park and I got the plane tickets, but I didn't tell her I was gonna take her. In fact, we were actually at a Wednesday night youth service. I was the youth pastor here at the church. She was serving as a youth leader and I told one of her roommates to pack up one of her bags and I took the bag with me. I got it in the car, never told her where we were going, never told her what was gonna happen, but at the end of the service, I just kept driving past her exit where she was living with the rest of her roommates and she said, where are we going? And this is what I said to her. I said, we're going to New York. She said, right now? I said, right now. We're going on a picnic. I gave her a card. I said, we're going to have the greatest picnic ever. And we flew a red eye all night long until we got into New Jersey, got into North, New Jersey, and then we had to buy some time before we could get into New York because everything was still shut down. It was closed, it was early in the morning. So we hung out over on Liberty Island. We hung out at the Liberty Science Center together. We hung out with all the school kids that were coming to the science fairs. And then we drove all the way into New York and we went up to to Central Park. Central Park at Columbus Circle at the Whole Foods, we grabbed a bunch of food, and we had a picnic together. So we were sitting there, we're having a picnic, and then I finally took her from the picnic, and we went down to the boathouse in Central Park, which is this beautiful restaurant on the lake, and I rented a boat. I rented a boat, we got into this boat, this little rowboat, and I pulled out into the middle of the lake with all of the trees and the buildings all around it. And I got down on one knee and I had a piece of tape. It said, I owe you, a piece of tape on it. And I said, honey, will you marry me? I asked if I marry and I put the tape on her finger. (laughs) Three times, three times. And she finally said, yes. Yes, I'm gonna marry you. Now, she said yes before, but there was little caveats that I had to fix along the way. We had to get the proposal. So I'm just gonna say this. If you're a young woman in the house and you're courting and you're dating and you need some advice, my wife is the one to go to because she doesn't play around. She'll get that guy straightened out so he is what he's supposed to be before you get married. Just tell you that. So I give her the ring, the fake ring. She starts shouting in the boat. She's screaming at the top of her lungs. He asked me to marry him. I'm so excited. I said, yes. She's shouting to the shore. She's shouting to the other people in the boats. And the first reaction in my mind is, is she crazy? I grabbed her. I literally, did not I pull you? I pulled her down into the boat. I said, this is not Colorado. This is New York. Nobody cares that we're getting married. They just want a peaceful afternoon. And if you don't shut up, they're going to kill us. <laughs> right? That's literally what I said. I said, don't say another word. So we get to the shoreline and I arranged, my parents came into New York City and we went and we had lunch together and then we went to go find the ring. We went to go get the ring. And the ring is an experience coming from the Italian family because everybody goes to get the ring. This is a big deal. It's like a tribe, a bunch of nomads. We just wander around in New York together. Everybody, grandparents, grandmothers, fathers, we all go to get the ring. And this is the way it works in the Italian family. I've shared this before, but I'm just going to refresh you. This is the way it works. We all know a guy. I'm not kidding, our guy was Boris. Now, Boris was a Russian Jew. He, he was on 47th Street in the Diamond District. He was the, literally on the corner on the south end of 47th Street in 6th Ave. That's where he was. That was his little place. And we knew Boris. So, so we all have a guy. Everybody's got a guy. And we all talk about our guys. You know my guy. I know your guy. We know our guy. And this is this is the guy we go to when we need a ring. This is the guy to go to when we need jewelry, right? And our guy was Boris. So this is what you do. You go around and you go to all the 5th Ave stores. You go to Tiffany's. You go to Cartier. You look at all of it. And you check out these diamonds and you check out these rings and you find the setting, you find the size, you find the cut of the type of ring that you want. Then you go and you find your guy. You go to Boris and say, this is what we found, this is what we want. And then the guy, listen to me, makes the same exact ring, sometimes with a better stone and better clarity and a better cut for a quarter of the price. That's how it works. So we go shopping. First place we go, Fifth Ave, Tiffany's. I mean, this is, this is the flagship store at Tiffany's. Five floors. You go to the top floor to get to the engagement rings. And as we're in the elevator, my wife literally turns to me. This is what she says. She says, I don't need a big ring. I just need a token of our love together. A half carat will be fine. And I looked at her, and I said, that's good, because that's what you were getting. That's where we were going, right? I said, that's that's what's happening. So we get to the fifth floor, and the elevator doors open. And I'm telling, so what does Tiffany do? They put all of of the the, the glass cases and everything of the five, six, four-carat stones right in front of the elevator. So you open, and everything is just sparkling. And I'm walking around the store to kind of get the lay of the land. I'm looking at the half carats, And I look back, and there's my wife trying on a five-carat stone. <laughs> she's literally, she's like, like the, 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 the people that were selling it were like a pack of wolves around her. She's all excited. She's, she's all, and I come over there, I said, no, 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 honey. This is the half-carat stones. This is what we're going to buy. And I'll never forget her reaction, right? This is what she said. Those are too small. My hands are too big for a stone like that. I said, what happened from the elevator (laughs) to the case? Like we we went to here. So we finally decided we had to compromise. This wasn't easy, but we got to the right size. We got to the right cut, everything. So we go and see Boris, right? Now, this is a whole experience because when you deal with your guy, there's no set prices. This is what people don't understand. You don't go in there and he gives you a set price. No, no, he throws a price out and now you negotiate. This is how it works in New York. But you can never say the price. Nobody in the room. Boris doesn't say the price. You don't say the price. What you do is you take a sheet of paper and you slide numbers across the table back and forth. So you say, okay, this is the, and you slide it. Then Boris looks at it and he looks at it, he puts another number on it. He slides it back. Then you look at it and say, okay, I can see. Then you slide it back. And you finally get to a point where the sliding stops and somebody gives a nod. They don't even say yes. They just go. And then that is it. You have now purchased yourself an engagement ring. And they built the, they made the ring and Beth got the ring and it was amazing. So this is where the whole story is going. We're here in Colorado Springs and I don't have a guy. I know no guys in Colorado. There's no guys here. So every time a little diamond in her setting would pop out or something would happen to the ring, I had no guy to bring the ring to because I didn't know if somebody would take the diamond or someone would do it. I didn't trust them because they were not my guy. So a few years ago, I found a guy. His name's Antonio. He's up in Denver. Him and and his assistant there, America. I know both of them. I go up to the jeweler, right? We chat, we talk, we hang out. And I finally looked at him. I said, Antonio, you need to understand something. He said, what's that? You have now become my guy. He says, what do you mean? I said, you're my jeweler. I'm Italian. You're my jeweler. I have to fix a ring. I'm now entrusting you. And this is what I said to Antonio. Now, here's the thing. You got to understand. I've never had another guy before. I've always had one guy. You're the new guy. And I am scared to give you this ring because if I give you this ring, I don't know if I'm going to get a real diamond back. And this is what he said to me. I can fix that. I said, well, how do you do it? And this was amazing. He didn't measure the diamond. He didn't weigh the diamond. And that's what I thought he was going to do. You know what he did? he had this electronic device that looked like a pen, and he touched the device to the diamond, and when he touched the device to the diamond, it gave a green light and a buzz. And he says, when you see the green light and the buzz from this device, you can know it's a real diamond, it's your diamond. If it goes red, that's a fake diamond. All I have to do to touch it, I just touch it and you're gonna know. And I looked at him, I said, Antonio, you really are my guy. You're the guy. You have just proven to me. And I gave him the ring, and he fixed the ring, and he did everything on the ring. And I came back weeks later, and you know what he did? He brought out the electronic pen, he brought out the ring, and he touched the diamond. Now watch this. He didn't weigh it. He didn't measure. I thought he'd weigh it. I thought i would do all these things. No, no, no. He took the device and he touched it and he showed me that it was real, that it was true. Now, I say all that to say I found a scripture that this last week in the Bible, in the book of Song of Songs, where literally somebody in the Bible is doing the exact same thing with their walk with God. And I wanna explain it, I'm gonna get into it, but get to Song of Songs, just for a second, and I'm gonna read Song of Songs, chapter one, verse one through six, and we're gonna get into this together. I'm gonna begin to unpack it all as you have this now big story stuck in your mind from Pastor Michael, are you ready? Song of Song chapter one, and I'm gonna read verses one through six. This is what the beloved says. She says this, "'Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, "'for your love is better than wine, Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. And I love this. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Now the virgins speak. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will exalt your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. And then the beloved says, I am very dark, but lovely. O oh, daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Look at verse 5 with me one more time, and I'm going to link this all together and I'm going to begin to dissect it. Verse 5 says this I am very dark, but lovely. So I'm very dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Gadar or like the curtains of Solomon. Now, Song of Songs is a very controversial book in the Bible. The book is about King Solomon writing about a maturing love with one of his wives from his youth. And at the very beginning of the book, you have the wife-to-be, the bride-to-be crying out for a more intimate relationship of love and truth with the king, with the beloved, with the bridegroom, right? She's crying out. She's saying, king, draw me after you. She's groaning for a deeper love. She's groaning for a greater and a more real experience with the king. She's saying, I want you to captivate my heart. I want you to sweep me up off of my feet. I want you to cause me to think about you day and night. I want you to overwhelm me with your love. I want your love to become more real to me than even the physical world around me, where I'm consumed with it. And when I know that type of love and I experience that love and how you really feel and what you really think about me, all of this emptiness inside, all of this fear of the future, all of this fear of man, this besetting sin that I keep giving into, it will finally fall off of me. I want to be completely fulfilled and secure in your love. Now, ever since COVID happened, I'm beginning to hear this cry that's spoken about in Song of Songs chapter one. I'm beginning to see it begin to be stirred up in the church again. We are living in a season where there are trials that are all around us. This world is being shaken over and over like never before, right? Global economies are all over the place. Uh, The stock market, worldwide currencies are changing by the minutes. Wars and rumors of wars are becoming more real now than they ever were before. And all of these changes that we heard about last week that are happening all around us, that are swirling around us, are beginning to create these disruptions in our families, in our marriages, at our workplace, in our churches, throughout our communities. And the people of God are saying, I need something to anchor my heart. I need some source of strength I need some source of encouragement that could give me the grace to be able to endure through this and be able to stay on mission for the glory of the gospel. And there's this groaning that's coming into this church. The church is beginning to cry out, Oh, Holy Spirit, draw me after God. Give me a deeper revelation of his love and his care for me and my family. Let let me say, Open up my spiritual eyes so that I can see how beautiful he is. So I can see how glorious he is even in the mess of all this around me. Anchor my heart with one revelation after another revelation of the power, the sovereignty, the authority of God in my life. Oh God, I feel so alone. Show me that you're actually with me. Who's prayed any of those types of prayers over these last two years? I got to know that you care about my family. I got to know you care. I need a deeper revelation. I need you to draw me. I'm losing something. I'm becoming lukewarm. The entertainment of this world is pulling me away. Holy Spirit, do a work inside me. Open up my spiritual eyes. Let me fall in love with God again. Let me see his majesty. Let me pray with faith. There's something coming into the church. But in order to experience that love, that love that gives strength and fulfillment, even in the worst of times. The bride-to-be had to do something that opened up her heart to the bridegroom's wooings. See, many times we read through the Bible so fast, we read the scripture so quick, because sometimes we even know it, that we miss it. We miss what this wife-to-be was doing that was preparing her heart to be able to experience the revelations and the wooings of the king's personal and intimate love. She was preparing her heart in a way so that the Holy Spirit would be able to get a hold of her. Are you following me so far? Okay, because this is going to get a lot of theology happening, a lot of stuff going, so I need you to just track with me. All right, go back to Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 5. Let's read it one more time, and I love this. Look what she does. This is profound. She says, I'm very dark, but lovely. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Gadar, like the curtains of Solomon. Listen to what she says to the king. Listen to her confession. She says, I'm very dark. Now, back then, when you were dark, meant that you were a slave. You worked in the fields. And you were out underneath the sun, which actually darkened your skin. And if you were a slave or you were someone that worked out in the fields, listen to me. You literally were just horrific. You were disgusting to nobility. They saw you as unclean. They saw that the work that you were doing was beneath them. So she's speaking to a king, she's speaking to a beloved, and she's saying, listen, I've been out in the fields, I am dark, you should not want anything to do with me. In fact, the fairer your skin was back then, the more noble it projected, it meant that you were higher up in the social economic ladder of the culture. And she's saying, I'm dark, I'm dark. And she, in some measures, was like this castaway, like this leopard in the eyes of this king. She says, I'm very dark, but then listen to her. This is amazing. At the exact same time, this blows my mind away, she says, I'm lovely. I'm dark, but I'm lovely. You know, the other night, I was in my garage and I was taking an inventory from some of the motorcycle parts I've collected over the years. And I'm sorry for the illustration, it's how I understand life. It's how life makes meaning to me, through motorcycles. Just kidding. It's just. And I'm out there, and I'm making an inventory, I'm going through my parts and I'm writing down the list and I'm, I'm thinking about a few things. And, and many of you know, I enjoy riding these old bikes, I enjoy building, them. I enjoy working on them. And I love these bikes, these old bikes from World War II and before. But, but you have to understand, when you build one of these old motorcycles, there's one of two ways that you can actually do it. And you gotta grasp this, the, the parts are really hard to find because there just wasn't a lot of them that were actually made. So I have a 1940 Harley Davidson. They call it a ULH, that's the name of the model. And in 1940, there were only 650 ULHs that were ever made. In fact, only half of them has probably survived all of these years. So when I need a part, when I'm looking at, man, I need a scavenger pump or I need a new oil pump or I need a new cam for this or I need a new push rod, whatever it is, whatever I'm looking at, whatever part it might be, there's only about 325 places on the earth that I'm gonna be able to find that part. And that's if the person that has the part is willing to sell the part or it's not on another bike already. This is how rare these things actually are. And because of the frames and the engines and, and the wheels are so rare, there's all these companies out there that make reproduction parts. But here's the catch. If you build a bike out of reproduction parts, it devalues the motorcycle. People won't pay you the same price as if it was original parts, right? So watch this. Hear me on this. You could spend years, sometimes even a decade, just looking for a frame for your motorcycle. Say, I need a 1940 frame. And you're looking and going to swap meets, and you're flying out into the Midwest, and you're going overseas because sometimes you can't find them. Sometimes they're in Japan. Sometimes they're in England from the war. They were left there. You're trying to find it anywhere you can find. It. And you could find an original 1940 frame after all of this searching. And that frame might have original casting numbers on it, but it's old, it's rusted, it's bent. But here's the thing, listen to me. Even though it's old, even though it's rusted, even though it's bent, hear me on this, that frame, even though it's weak, is still incredibly valuable. In fact, it could be more valuable than 10 reproduction frames of the exact same year. That's how serious this all could be. And as I was in my garage, watch this, I began to realize something. Let me put it up on the screen so you could see this. Ready? The quantity of the parts is not as significant as the essence of the parts. Watch what I realized. The most important thing is not how many parts I have, but rather if the parts are real and original. And I know this sounds weird, but hear me out on this. This woman in the Song of Solomon is doing the exact same thing that I just put up on the screen. She's taking an inventory in her spiritual walk with God. And listen to me. She's not just measuring all of the spiritual inventory. She's testing it to see what it is inside of her. And I'm going to go further. We're going to explain it more. Some of you are saying, well, I still don't fully get it. Okay, let's take it a step deeper. Are you ready? Because I want you to get this. Many Christians, when they begin to groan like this woman, and they begin to cry out for a more intimate relationship with God, where God, his beauty, his power, his love, actually becomes real to their own hearts. The love becomes so real that it actually, actually constrains them from walking away from the Lord in difficult times. The love becomes so real that it puts a conviction inside of them where they're not living in a compromised lifestyle. The the love becomes so real that it causes them to continue on on the mission of the church. One of the first things that people do when that groaning starts is they begin to take notice of all the sin all the unbelief and all the lack of trust that is inside of them. And at the exact same time, get this, they ignore all the good that God is doing inside of them. They see the sin, they see the blackness, they see the darkness, but they don't see the good. They don't see the fruit of the spirit. They're sheltered from it. They're hidden from it. See, many Christians never fall head over heels in love with God. Many Christians never live in the joy of knowing the Heavenly Father. Many Christians never experience His peace and experience His comfort because, listen to me, they spend most of their time measuring the fruit of the Spirit inside of them, comparing it to other Christians instead of thinking about what's living inside of them and testing it to make sure it is from the Lord and it's real. They're measuring it all the time I feel like I haven't arrived. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I want to be more. I want. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong in and of themselves. But they don't take the time, not just to measure it, but to test it. What is living inside of your heart? Is there fruit of the Spirit in there? Where did that come from? Is it real? Is it living? Is it doing something inside of you? Those things get pushed out of our collective thinking. And we get into the rat race of just comparing ourselves with other Christians and other people. And you know what happens? It begins to shut down our heart from the wooing of the Holy Spirit. It shuts down something inside of us where we start coming into services and we say, I just don't feel God and and we start reading our Bible and I feel like he never speaks to me and we spend time in prayer and we say, he never answers me. It, It gets to a point where it does something inside of us where it closes off our hearts from the wooing of the bridegroom. I was reading an old Puritan writer this last week named Thomas Brooks, one of my favorites and there was a a paragraph that just literally just popped off of the page in my study time. And I'm going to read it. And I'm just going to warn you, it's theologically deep. So I'm not done unpacking it. We're just starting. I'll I'll get to the whole crux of all of this and make sense of everything. But I just want to read it to you because it's profound. And this is what he said. This is what blew my mind. He said, when you look upon your graces, and I define graces as what God is doing inside of you, be sure to look more at the truth of your graces than at the measure of your graces. You must rather bring your graces to the touchstone to try their truth, than to the balance to weigh their measure. Let's to what he says. Many weak Christians are weighing their graces when they should be trying the truth of their graces. As if the quantity and measure of grace were more considerable than the essence and nature of grace. And this is that that keeps weak saints, ready for this? In the dark, doubting, questioning and despairing condition. Yea, this makes their lives a very hell. It throws a wet blanket on your faith. I told someone one time, when I pray, I'm very careful because I confess things. i, I I repent of things. I deal with things. And I say, Lord, I'm not the man I want to be. But I don't stop there. I say, but I ain't the man I once was. There's a difference. I test what's in my heart. I test what's going on in my life. In fact, let me take it a step further and and show you this in practicality in the scriptures, how this actually plays out. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 23. You guys all know this scripture. This is Jesus coming off the Mount of Transfiguration. And listen to what happens, because I think you're gonna see this story in a whole nother light. It says, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with him. immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son to you, and he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, "O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the Father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And then I love this. But if you could do anything, if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, All things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I love this prayer and this confession of the father because what does he say? He says, I believe, but help my own belief. See, this was a man who had a little faith. Not much, just a little. And that little bit of faith was mixed in an ocean of unbelief. In fact, his unbelief was so strong and his faith was so small. Listen to what he says to Jesus. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. He's saying to Jesus, hey, I know this demon is probably stronger than you, but if you could just do something, even just a little something to help my boy, we would be eternally grateful, right? But what I love, get this, is even though that this man is completely filled with unbelief, he is filled with it. So much so that Jesus convicted of it. so much so that he begins to confess it. Even though he's confessing his own belief, he still acknowledges that he has a little bit of faith deep down in his own heart. He still acknowledges it. He says, wait a second, wait a second. There is faith inside of me. There is something that the Holy Spirit has put inside of me. I see it, I acknowledge it. God is doing something in me. Even though right now all I'm seeing is my sin and my unbelief and my mistrust and my fears. As that is swirling around, there's something of the fruit of the Spirit. There's something of the grace of the gospel that is still deep inside of my heart. And I believe with everything in me, it was this man's acknowledgement of this small little grace that he had in his heart. This little bit of faith that he had that began to give him the strength to call out to the Lord and begin opening his heart to be able to see God do a miracle in his life and in his family. All right, let's go back to Song of Solomon and then I'll I'll bring this all together and wrap it up. Chapter one, verse five, watch as he says. I am very dark, but lovely, all daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Gadar, like the curtains of Solomon. Now think about that statement one more time. This woman could not say that she was pure. This woman cannot say that she was clean. She says, I'm very dark, but she was able to confess that she was still lovely. In other words, she was free in the presence of the king to confess her blackness, but she was also free in the presence of the king to confess that she was lovely. She's saying, even in my blackness, there's an inward grace inside of me. There is a new life that you have put into me. There's something there and it's making me beautiful. Now think about that for a moment. How many of us, when we see the blackness of our own hearts, when we see our sin, our rebellion, our defiance against God, our selfishness. Where God tells us to go in one direction and we're constantly trying to go in another direction. And you see all that. That begins to come out. And you begin to confess it. You begin to say God is there, there's a blackness there. How many of us at the same exact time begin to thank God for the fruit of the Spirit for the fact that there's a love for God in our hearts and there's a desire inside of us that truly does want to obey. How many of us actually repent like that? Where we deal with the blackness, but we begin to sing praise and thanksgiving at the same time of the goodness of what God is actually doing inside of the heart. That's what this woman is doing. That's see, and she's opening through that, through the confession and the thanksgiving coming together and beginning to kiss. Listen to me. She's beginning to open her heart to be able to be wooed by the spirit of God. Because listen to me, if all you do is always confess your blackness, which is good and it's important, and you never begin to give thanks God to God for what he's doing inside of you, if you never acknowledge that, listen to me, the Holy Spirit, your heart is gonna be shut down to him. He'll never be able to pull you out of those pits and begin to transform and begin to change you because your heart is clothed off in a place of unbelief. I I had someone say to me the other day, we as Christians deal more harshly with our own souls than we do our children. When I think about whether Landon or Max loves me, I know and I understand that their affections are imperfect because they are children, right? So as a father, what do I do? I look for the truth of their affections, not the strength of their affections. And I know this is gonna push back on some theology for a lot of people here, but that's how God looks at us. It's not that he doesn't want us to grow, we always need to grow. But no matter how much we grow, we're still children in the eyes of God. And God looks at us, and he's looking for the truth of our affections. Is it real? Is it genuine? Even with all the mishaps and the failures and the mistakes there, is it real? Not the strength of our affections. And I know that's tough. I know people say, well, I learned it the other way for so long. No, no, no. Because if you can acknowledge the truth of the affections, listen to this. It says in the Bible that God has begun a good work, and you will be faithful to complete it. What it does is it opens up your heart for God to keep working and growing it inside of you. And you start seeing yourself change after another month. And you start seeing another six months and you're changing again. And you see another year and you're changing again. And suddenly there's a growth that's beginning to happen. Because you're acknowledging, you're understanding, wait, there's a seed inside of me. There's something that's been put there by God. And it unleashes the spirit of God to begin to raise it up inside of you. what's the point to all this Pastor Michael what are you really getting at and let me close with just this thought we are living in a very trying time in the world and there is so much change that is happening all around us we heard about this last week there's so much change and I want to say this lovingly but I'm going to say it as your pastor it's not going to stop I know everyone wants off the roller coaster and everyone says we've had a rough two years. We don't want to go. Listen, it ain't stopping. We as the church need to learn how to thrive in the midst of this. We in the church need to learn how to be wooed by the Spirit of God. We in the church need to go to a deeper depth with the Lord. If we're going to come out through this with joy and life and peace abounding, we are in a time We're literally, we're in a lot of change. And you know what that change is beginning to do? It's beginning to put pressure onto the church. It's beginning to put pressure on our individual lives with the Lord. And what's happening is we're experiencing this pressure. All these cracks are beginning to be exposed. Cracks in our relationship with God. Cracks in our relationships in our marriage. Cracks in our relationships with each other. Cracks in, 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 in our churches. Cracks in the way that we do church. There's all these cracks that are beginning to be exposed. Now hear me on this. If all you ever see are all the cracks and all the mishaps from the years sometimes of even lukewarmness, let me tell you, and that's all you have your focus on. It's all you ever pay attention to, and you're never in a place where you see that even though you have those cracks, there's still a seed of the life of the Holy Spirit. There's still fruit inside of you. There's still a life that God gave you that can overcome if you truly believe and you continue on in your relationship with Him, obeying and surrendering and yielding. If all you do is look at the cracks, hear me, you're going to be so discouraged. So discouraged. And I'm warning you, there's more coming where you're going to see more cracks. See, the Bible says this, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Oh, we are living in a lawless time. Sin is abounding. Sin is everywhere. Politicians and leaders, they don't just lie to you behind the backstage or behind the doors. They are lying to you to your face. They're saying, your own eyes are not seeing what's going on here. You don't even know. Let me tell you, they are lying. They're giving you a false reality of what's taking place across this whole world. This is a time of utter lawlessness. And God says, where sin abounds, my grace will much more abound. Which means I have a touch of grace. I have a touch of power from my spirit. I have a wooing that I want to pour out on my church that will give them the grace to begin to overcome. But they have to open their hearts to it. They have to, like this bride to be, have to prepare themselves with it. And God is saying, if you don't prepare your heart, if you don't open up your heart, the grace that I'm trying to pour out, the wooing that I'm trying to bring my people into, the depth that I want them to know of me and be able to stand falls flat. And God says, the way you open up your heart, as He's showing through Song of Song, is you confess the blackness, but at the same time, you recognize that I'm still lovely. There's still a work that God is doing inside of me. See, the only way, and I'll put this on the screen, to break the power of shame is the power of thanksgiving. That's the only way you'll ever break it. And we're about to go into a season, I'm warning you, there's gonna be a lot of shame that's gonna come onto the church. And the only way you're going to break it, do I need to confess those things? Yes. Do I repent? Of course I repent. Repentance is important. Confession is important. Honesty is important. But you need to be honest in both directions. (laughs) Yeah, I got sin in my life. I failed. But I got the seed of the Spirit of God in my life as well. And let me tell you something. I'm going to keep yielding to God. It's going to keep working in me and it's going to begin to grow. And as you begin to acknowledge that and you begin to even give praise to God and worship him for what he's already deposited, the spirit of God is going to begin to woo you in a whole new way, a whole new way. Revelation is going to come out of the word in your private time like you've never believed. There'll be times at church, you're literally going to leave church. Listen to me. Some people here are going to leave church and said, I didn't realize that God was actually there. You're going to go out and say, My heart is so open, it's being wooed. I didn't know, I was coming to church all this time, and I thought it was boring. Now I'm really like, God is there. God is doing something. He's doing things in my heart. There's a wooing that's going to begin coming into your life. Now, stand with me, Springs Church, stand with me. I'm going to have an altar time. I'm going to ask the altar team to come forward, the prayer team first. They're going to come up and they're going to get ready just to pray. They're going to be up here. But this is my altar call. I felt the Lord say to me in my prayer time that there would be people in this room today who recognize how dark they are. They recognize that they've, they have some foundations, some cracks, they've messed up. But they don't realize how lovely they are at the exact same time. Their eyes are focused on something that they've either done, and you've confessed it. The Lord put it on my heart. You've repented of it, and you've confessed it. You've been honest before God but you can't get past it. And you're not seeing that God is still with you. You're not seeing that God has still have fruit in your heart and that fruit is gonna bear out. You're testing the diamond and you're not seeing the green light. Do you get it? You're testing it and you're saying this thing, this thing doesn't work right. And listen to me, you are now shutting down your heart from the Holy Spirit being able to woo you. He can't woo you the way he used to be able to. He can't draw you after God. And if you're in this place and you say, Pastor Michael, that's been my story for these two years. There's been so many cra- cracks in my parenting that I've seen, cracks in my marriage, that I've, and I've repented. I am sorry for it, but I can't see that God is in the midst of this. I can't see, I can't see that he's still working in my life. If that's you this morning, would you come forward? I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you just to be bold. Don't worry about what anybody's looking at, or what's going on. We're going to ask for the spirit of God. It might be just for a few people. Just come forward. Just come forward. We're going to ask for the spirit of God to begin to break through. We're going to ask God to break through this morning. You come forward. Come forward. Come forward. I want to lift you up. I want to lift. Up. I want you to know God is doing a work inside of you. God is doing a work inside of you. There is real fruit, real fruit in your life. And you know what you need to do, and I'm gonna give the direction to the church. This week when you go back and you have to repent or you have to confess for something, you confess it, you repent it, that's important. But as you confess and you repent, you take time to repent, but then you take time to rejoice. You take time to start thinking about the promises of God. You start thinking about what he has done in your life. All the incredible breakthroughs over the years that he's done inside of you. You start recognizing that he will be faithful to complete the work that he's begun. And you begin to give him praise. You confess, but you begin to worship. And I'm telling you, if you begin to marry those two things in your walk with God, you'd be shocked at what the Spirit of God begins to do inside of you. I feel like there's more. I feel like the Lord's put on my heart. I don't normally do this, but if you're sitting there and you know you need to be at this altar, you know these last two years have exposed some things in your life, And you're at a place where literally you're looking at your, and you're bound by shame or you're bound by just a weight where you feel like, you know what? I don't feel like God could do anything or God hasn't anything in my life. And You come forward. I want to pray. I want to lift you up. Come forward. Come forward. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You come forward. Come forward. And this is what we're going to do this morning. I want you to begin to pray to the Lord. If you feel like you need to confess this thing, that you haven't really dealt with it, I want you just to confess it. Just say, God, I'm going to say this thing is wrong or whatever it is. I repent of it. I want to turn away from it. You confess it. But at the same time, as you do the confession, I want you to take a moment and I want you to begin to literally vocalize thanksgiving and praise to God. I want you to start saying, Thank you, God for the blood. Thank you, God, for the deposit of your spirit. Thank you that there's still evidence and fruit inside of my life. Thank you. Thank you that it's real. Thank you that you did it in me. Thank you that you spiritually made me alive through the cross and through the resurrection. Thank you. Thank you. God, I ask for forgiveness for what I've done. I ask for forgiveness. I see the blackness, but even in the midst of the blackness, I turn back to your throne and I thank you that you still have a deposit inside of me that's going to overcome. It's going to overcome. I thank you that I'm not the man or the woman that I used to be. I thank you that you're changing my mind. I thank you that you're renewing my thoughts. I thank you as I'm on this journey with you. I thank you, God, I thank you that this deposit is real and it's alive. Father, I pray for every person that's come forward. God, I pray for those who can't stop looking at just the blackness in their hearts. I pray for those that have gone through two years of struggle and trial and all they see is their blackness. I pray for parents who literally feel like I have made so many mistakes with my kids and all I see is my blackness. They've confessed it, they've repented of it, but they just see black and they want to throw in the towel. They say there's nothing God could do in my family, nothing God could do, and they're not seeing the deposit of life that is still inside of them. They're not seeing the fruit of the spirit that's been put into them that will overcome if they would begin to believe and yield. God, we pray today. We pray for those that just see blackness all around. And God, we, we, we confess these things. Like the, like the beautiful bride-to-be, we confess these things. But at the same time, we also recognize and turn to you and thank you, God, that even as we confess these things, you have started a work inside of us. And you're going to be faithful, faithful to complete it unto the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we might not be where we want to be just yet, but we are not where we once were. You are transforming us. You are changing us, Lord God. And we take time to worship you. We take time to lift you up. We take time to lift our eyes up to that truth, Lord God. Oh, Holy Spirit, break yokes this morning. Lord, there's some that have confessed and they are in a prison even though the door is now open. It is done. There is a door open and they are living in a prison. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you'll begin to break people out of that prison, God. You'd open their eyes. You'd open their eyes. Lord, you said you'll never put out a smoldering flask and you said you'll never break a bruise reed. There's some smoldering flasks up at this altar right now. There are some bruise reeds up at this altar right now. And you're speaking to them saying, I won't put that out. I won't. If you'll just believe me, if you'll begin to worship me, if you begin to thank me, I won't put that out. I won't put that out. I'm going to rekindle. I'm going to strengthen. I'm going to occur. I'm going to draw you by my spirit. I'll pull you out of it. I'll pull you out of the besetting sin. I'm going to take you out of that air. I'll get you out. If you just know I won't put that out, open your heart. Open your heart. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that you would speak future into the hearts of people at this altar right now. Just speak future to them that you have plans, that you're not done. You're not done with the marriage. You're not done with the kids. You're not done with the personal walks. You're not done. Speak future to them, God, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, there are seasons in my walk with you where I repent so deeply for my own failures, or I repent even for the church in America for how we haven't really walked with you rightly. We haven't kept our hearts pure. We haven't, Lord kept their hearts from being lukewarm. And I feel like you whisper into my heart sometimes in those seasons, I'm not through with the church in America just yet. Michael, I'm not done. You don't understand my grace. You don't understand my power. You don't understand the wooings of my spirit. You don't get it. You have to recognize I put a seed in my church. I have fruit that's still there and it's going to overcome. It's going to if you'll just believe me, if you'll just begin to worship me, it will overcome. You will see a prevailing church in this nation. You will see a prevailing church throughout the world. You will see a prevailing church in this country. It's going to happen. God, we look to you and we say thank you and we worship you for it. Lord, we bless you. God, to commit every person to this altar, to you, Lord God, I pray that you continue ministering to them throughout this week. I pray that you would take this word and you'd make it very timely in hearts. Lord, let us be a people that can confess at times, you know, there's some blackness in my heart, but I'm lovely. There's a deposit of a work of the Spirit of God, and it's gonna overcome, it's gonna overcome Lord, build your church in this truth. Let them be wooed and overwhelmed by this truth. Let them be captivated by it. Lord, I commit this body to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.